Hello, I'm Julie Gould and this is Working Scientist, the Nature Careers podcast. This is our second series of 2019 and we're looking at technology. Now, the first episode in this six-part series is going to look a little bit at artificial intelligence and its impact on science careers and universities. But before we go into any of that, I'd like to introduce Jeff Perkel. Jeff Perkel, you're the technology editor here at Nature. Thank you so much for coming in and being a part of our technology series. I'm really looking forward to this series because... I mean, science wouldn't really happen without technology, would it? I mean, there, there wouldn't be any research without it. Technology is basically the way science is done. So to me, it's always been the most interesting aspect of research or one of the most interesting aspects of, of scientific research is kind of how the science itself is actually done. So in this series, we're going to be exploring several different aspects of technology. But one of the ones that I'm really interested in is how technology changes so rapidly that often it's quite difficult to keep up with how this technology is changing and the impact it has on science and the impact that it has on the careers of the scientists. Because, you know, you could learn how to use one piece of kit and or one piece of software during your PhD, but then by the time you graduate, it's obsolete or it's on to the next level or, you know, who knows what's happened to it. So I find that quite an interesting balance between trying to keep up with the science and keeping up with the technology whilst also trying to keep up with everything else in the world. I mean, that's definitely a truism of science and it's probably a truism of the world. And I think probably the answer to that is that, well, there's no one answer, but I think the answer to that is that scientists need to, need ever more frequently to be flexible in a sense, doing science is learning how to do the process of science. And if you can use it with this piece of kit, then presumably you can adapt to using that piece of kit. It's learning the process and and the actual hardware or, you know, the specific reagents or materials or laboratory equipment that you need to make that happen can vary. But the process and the philosophies of what you're doing, you know, sort of stay the same. We're going to be talking a little bit about artificial intelligence. Now, I know that deep learning uh, is something that you have worked on with the Nature article. So tell me a little bit more about the, the artificial intelligence and deep learning article that you worked on. So we had a technology feature on deep learning for biology in our February 20th issue of 2018. And um, it was written by uh, freelance science writer Sarah Webb. Basically, she was talking about how deep learning is a variety of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And basically, it's become incredibly popular in, in life science research, probably, probably in other areas of research as well. But in the life sciences, it's become incredibly popular as a way to find patterns that would be difficult for humans to recognize on their own in images, in gene sequences. And so Sarah looked into how to uh, how these tools are basically being used to answer answer questions that would be otherwise, you know, that we that we might not have been able to even think about. Just a. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. 
Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Four years ago. We hear from Jeff in the other parts of this technology series. But for this particular episode, let's look at artificial intelligence. So what is it? What is artificial intelligence? Well, you could think about it as a combination of computer systems that exhibit various characteristics of human intelligence, the abilities to think and search and learn and turn into action. It's an accumulation of the Internet of Things, cloud computing, large-scale data processing, and all these things have come together at the same time to form artificial intelligence. Now, in August 2017, Mark Dodgson from the University of Queensland and David Gann from Imperial College, they wrote an article for the World Economic Forum about artificial intelligence and the impact it's going to have on universities. And they said, quote, We believe that AI is a new scientific infrastructure for research and learning that universities will need to embrace and lead. Otherwise, they will become increasingly irrelevant and eventually redundant. Through their own brilliant discoveries, universities have sown the seeds of their own disruption. How they respond to this AI revolution will profoundly reshape science, innovation, education and society itself. When he was in London last year, I spoke to Mark Dodgson and asked him how he felt about that article and particularly the statement that I just quoted and whether or not he thought it was still as true now as it was then. Well, universities are the source of the, a lot of the science and the technology behind artificial, artificial intelligence. So in the sense that the source of their own disruption. And I stand by the idea that AI, in the combination of the various technologies that comprise it, will provide a new scientific infrastructure and has got the considerable opportunity to disrupt existing university activities so, for example, uh, one of the intents of artificial intelligence, one of the objectives of artificial intelligence is the notion of deep learning. Now, if universities aren't involved with deep learning, I don't know what it is. So if you've got uh, these combinations of technologies and algorithms that can undertake the kind of deep learning that universities have usually had a, in the past have had a monopoly on, um, then it's going to provide a considerable challenge to universities. And it does, a, AI affects all activities across universities. So it affects the teaching activity, it affects research, it affects the external engagement and the internal management of the university. And I think unless universities get pretty coherent strategies to deal with this technology across the range of activities, they will struggle because there are plenty of commercial organisations that nowadays that are capable of using these technologies to be able to provide the sort of services that universities have provided in the past. I've heard someone say to me once that universities are very much like the Catholic Church in that they are very reluctant to reforms to change they are very traditional in the way that they do whatever it is that they do how much of a hindrance do you think that is going to be when it comes to accepting and taking on board these new technologies like artificial intelligence 
Well, they're great survivors. Um, the average age of the top 20 European universities is over 340 years, and seven of the 20 are over 400 years old. So they've been around for a long time. But I think the combination of these new technologies is providing a significant uh, threat. There will always be places where you need um, creativity, but I'm not sure if the universities, in my experience, are really coming to terms with the extent of the challenge that they face. Some are doing very well. Um, some are using these technologies to improve their efficiencies in teaching, for example, or to improve the uh, outcomes of their research. But um, I think we're on the cusp of a, of, of a significant disruption in higher education, and I'm just not sure how universities are prepared for it. So let's talk a little bit about the the universities that are using these technologies for um, for their teaching and for their their research. So can you can you give me some examples of how artificial intelligence is being used in those respects? Um, there's experiments taking place in uh, universities such as Georgia State um, or the Norwegian Business School, which are using these kinds of virtual tutors to improve learning outcomes. And in uh, some universities, such as, as, as Georgia State and, and, and Georgia Tech, uh, you're using um, AI to predict student performance so that you can predict whether students are going to fail and have an intervention before they actually do fail. In research, um, anything that's repetitive um, and simply done, there are examples of AI systems creating hypotheses and undertaking whole scientific experiments. Um, and AI also provides the opportunity for greater interdisciplinarity. Uh, it allows people to be able to share data sets and, and, and learn, um, see new observations, uh, see new connections through combining different insights from different disciplines. So in the research field, there's, there's significant opportunities. A lot of people could well be thinking, well, hey, wait a second, a lot of my work is all of these things that you've just said. What am I going to do? Why am I spending my time doing a PhD in subject ABC when in the future there's going to be some artificial intelligence software that could do it too? Yeah. Well, I think the challenge is going to be developing careers where people can work alongside AI, use it as a tool to augment what they're doing and to accentuate the, the creative and collaborative elements of what they are, what they do, um, more val high value added uh, activities, if you like. So uh, theory becomes ever more important. Being able to distinguish what's, um, what's real and what's uh, fake, uh, what's misleading, uh, what's based on, on, on fundamental understanding. I think those kind of tasks are going to become more uh, central in, in academic work and in uh, training academics, thinking about educating academics in the future. How do you recommend that we prepare those, uh, you know, the young PhD researchers or the PhD researchers at the moment so that when they do 
finished their their PhD research that they are they are ready to embrace that technology and and use it and work alongside it when they go into an academic career, for example. I think that's a, a question that many universities are struggling with at the moment and need to get really get their heads around. Um, one of the problems with PhD training is that uh, there's so much uh, pressure on just focusing on the, the minutiae of the particular project they're working on. Um, I think there needs to be made space in the PhD program for people to reflect more on the context in which they're learning, the social obligations they have as scientists and thinking about the consequences of the science that they produce. What would there be instead if universities don't keep up with the technologies that they themselves have created? Uh, I think already you're seeing through the use of these technologies the growth of commercial providers of education, the massively online courses and so forth. You see um, extremely wealthy philanthropists creating their own research institutes, um, trying to avoid some of the legacies of, of, of uh, institutional um, bureaucracy that you find in, in, in many uh, universities. Um, so there are companies themselves investing in, 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 in science. So there are uh, alternatives for research and for teaching that uh, are already there. And I think that unless universities get up to speed and start addressing some of these competitive threats and using some of their historical, cultural strengths of collegiality, of inquisitiveness, curiosity, unless they accentuate that and get rid of some of the obstacles that they continually put in the way of innovation and entrepreneurship, um, then they will suffer because the innovation and the entrepreneurship that is facilitated by these new technologies will be used by other parties and universities will be left behind. Now, there are some researchers that disagree and don't think that artificial intelligence will make such a big difference. And Lee Cronin, who's the Regis Professor of Chemistry at the University of Glasgow, is one of them. The thing is that AI is a tool. So I guess AI might have a similar impact to the typewriter in universities and the personal computer. But it's not, I mean, there's no, there's no magic in AI. It's just a tool. It's just a series of mathematical processes to allow you to extract meaning or, or at least predict a bit, some degree of prediction from large data sets. Then I guess the big question is about how much meaning can you put into this? And, uh, and that's quite a complicated because if I was to you know, investigate the world and write down Newton's law of gravity, I could do that. Um, if I was to train an AI to tell me Newton's law of gravity, well, it would do that, but in a more complicated way. And I might not understand what gravity is from the AI. So I think there are serious question marks about overusing mathematical um, techniques to black box a problem and not actually understand the causation. And if you don't understand the causation, then the, the poorly deployed machine learning will actually prevent you from understanding the universe. 
And of course, what uni universities want to do is they want to help us further our understanding of the universe. So I think machine learning and artificial intelligence in general will be great new tools as they become accessible to people outside of computer science and applied mathematics. But they're not, they're not really going to make a massive difference. There have been a few people who've said to me that the way artificial intelligence will change universities is that they will change the way teaching is done. They will change the way that you know grading is done. They'll be able to predict when students are going to drop out based on results on previous tests. Do you not think that that kind of... Um, no. No? No. I think that if we want to use AI as a tool to basically make... Um, grading cheaper then fine do that but universities aren't about grading universities are about educating people to think critically about preparing people with sufficient high level skills to you know add to the economy and be creative but the thing that i really love about our universities particularly in the uk is the creativity that's there and there's no ai that can assess creativity there just isn't so thank you to Mark Dodgson from the University of Queensland in Australia and Lee Cronin from the University of Glasgow in Scotland. In the next part of this series, we're going to be looking at the importance of learning how to code and the impact that it can have on a research career. Here's just a little snippet from an interview I did with Brian McNamee, who is part of the Insight Centre for Data Analytics at University College Dublin. I think it's a really good idea for people to learn to code. and I think it's a really good idea because it gives them the biggest freedom and flexibility. So now they don't need anyone else in order to do whatever it is that they want to do. So it puts them right in touch with their data. It puts them right in touch with an enormous range of packages that will allow them to do different kinds of data analysis, work with different kinds of data sets, um, produce different kinds of outputs from the analysis on those data sets. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.